You're listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast, now on Google Play. With Sandy Almendares, Editor-in-Chief. Brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas. And welcome to a Supply Side West edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast. I am Sandy, and on the phone today, I have got two expertise in uh, um, contract labs. I've got Catherine Rimmer, who is the Natural Products Program Coordinator at the National Institutes of Standard and Technology. Hi, Catherine. Hello. Good morning. And we've also got Adam Kuzak, who is the director of the ODS Analytical Methods and Reference Materials Program um, that is at, of course, the National Institutes of Health Office of Dietary Supplements. Hi, Adam. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for joining me. So we are going to talk about contract labs and how they implement and adhere to testing methods. Um, Catherine will be speaking at our Supply Side West workshop. Trust in Testing, Contract Labs for Safe Compliant Supplements, which is on Thursday, October 17th at 2 p.m. So we hope you can join us there in Las Vegas. Um, So Catherine Remmer received her undergraduate degree in chemistry and anthropology at the University of Vermont. She earned her doctorate in analytical chemistry at the Florida State University and then moved to NIST, first as a National Research Council postdoctorate fellow and then as an NIST-NIH ODS postdoctorate fellow tasked with method and material development of dietary supplement materials. Since then, her role has expanded into natural products research, coordinating NIST's supplement reference materials and quality assurance programs. In her role, she serves as the liaison between NIST and she enjoys helping manufacturers and laboratories solve their analytical problems. So ODS funds NIST's natural product work, which is why we have Adam's expertise on the call as well. He, um, through AMRAM, Adam works with stakeholders involved in research, industry, and regulatory affairs to support scientific resource development and promote biomedical research on the mechanisms and health effects of dietary supplements and natural products. He provides scientists scientific expertise on analysis to facilitate ODS initiative development, program management, strategic planning, and evaluation. Um, So in short, they know all things laboratory and standards and testing. So um, my first question for the two of you is, how can manufacturers demonstrate that their products and raw materials have been tested adequately? Yeah, thanks, Sandy. Uh, First, I'd really just like to say thanks to you and the Informa team for inviting Kate and me to speak with you today. Uh, I'd also like to start with a disclaimer. Coming from the National Institute of Standards and Technology and uh, NIH Office of Dietary Supplements, they're not regulatory bodies, so neither of us is speaking as an authority on regulatory requirements or how to approach inspections. But a, a critical step in demonstrating a dietary supplement ingredient or product has been adequately tested is showing that the analytical testing method that's being employed, whatever that method might be, is scientifically valid, it's being performed properly, and that it's giving the correct answers. So for over 15 years, the NIH uh, ODS Analytical Methods and Reference Materials Program has provided industry and researchers with laboratory resources to help demonstrate that their methods are accurate, precise, and reproducible. 
uh, a major part of this program, NIST and NIH ODS have collaborated to develop tools that uh, fill essential needs for laboratories performing ingredient identification and uh, chemical quantification analyses. And these tools that are offered by NIST are reference materials and uh, quality assurance programs. And both of those provide brands and uh, laboratories the means to objectively determine and demonstrate the quality of their measurements. Well, thank you. Um, so my sec the second question is, what is the importance of using reference materials to verify your lab results? Okay, this is Kate. I'm going to take that one. Um, I need to start with what is a reference material, because reference materials mean very different things to different people. So at NIST, what we're usually looking at as a reference material is a matrix-based material. So in the dietary supplement industry, that means we are looking at materials that are in commerce or are going to be to make products in commerce, either the raw ingredients or the raw materials. Typically, we stay away from pure calibrants and we um, don't intend any of our materials to be used for calibration, typically. So instead, what we're looking for is an authentic source material um, that is similar to what people are using in their own laboratories. Um, once we get that matrix-based material, what we do is we package it and make sure it's homogeneous, and we quantify individual compounds within the material. So those can be elements, they can be nutrients like vitamins, uh, botanical marker compounds that are unique to the uh, product, and also any reasonably um, anticipated contaminants, so pesticides, uh, toxic elements, mycotoxins are examples of things that we look for and measure. So what happens is that laboratories um, or can purchase these materials, um, we make them publicly available to use in their method development, uh, to use them as part of method validation, and to use as a quality control material. Um, this helps the laboratories to meet their GMP requirements that demonstrate that their methods are scientifically valid. So um, typically a laboratory will use the reference material by running it through the entire process, including sample preparation and analytical separation if there's necessary, uh, and detection and data workup process. So then they can take the results that they get for the certified reference material or the reference material. They can compare them with the values that are provided on the certificate of analysis with the material and determine how their performance is. If they get within a target range, um, then they are good to go. If they don't, they need to continue a bit um, and explore what sources of bias they might have in their measurement process. Sometimes the materials aren't necessarily the most appropriate for, for what 
um, a particular laboratory is looking for. And in those cases, on every material we have, there is contact information for a scientist at NIST. Um, there's a technical contact. Uh, we always welcome emails and phone calls to us to talk about any questions or comments that people might have in use of the material. So while using these is obviously important for the laboratory to ensure that they're performing quality measurements, they can also be used by the laboratory's customers. The laboratory can show that they're using reference materials and they can provide their customers with the information demonstrating that they're performing measurements that are um, in good control. And this can be especially useful when trying to meet some of the GMP and FISMA plans and use of reference materials can actually be incorporated into those plans. So the one problem with dietary supplements is that it is a huge range of different materials, um, both in types of plants or uh, compounds that are used to make the materials and also in those final formulations. So it's sometimes there isn't an appropriate reference material. Um, one case of this would be uh, perhaps you want to look at water-soluble vitamins in your gummy vitamin formulation and we have a tablet formulation. Um, so those are very different sample preparation techniques. The separation and detection and data workup are probably all the same, um, but that first step, the sample preparation, may not be the most representative. Uh, what we will do in those cases, though, is we can work with laboratories or laboratories can look up some of the publications to talk about that talk about how to make your own in-house control materials and then how to make those traceable to NIST in cases where there is that possibility. So when you're working with brands, supplement brands, what is the biggest concern that you see when they're working with contract labs? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it was a few years back, the American Botanical Council's publication, uh, Herbogram, they had an article that outlined uh, several key steps on how brand holders and labs can go and, and best qualify their analyses of dietary ingredients and uh, supplement products. Um, in, in terms of those steps they can use, um, the, they can use reference materials and uh, can participate in quality assurance programs. Those can play an important role in that uh, qualification of their analyses. Um, also, and uh, again speaking from a non-regulatory perspective here, uh, in various uh, stakeholder engagements Kate and I have been to, our, our uh, collaborators and partners, you know, we, we know that it is important for brands and labs to be able to analytically demonstrate uh, botanical identity and authenticity for their ingredients and for their products. Um, showing that is uh, essential for ensuring the quality and safety of dietary supplements. And we've been working to develop uh, quantitative methodologies and reference materials that are really intended for demonstrating botanical identity and authenticity. Um, and we've, again, we've been 
working on this often in collaboration with uh, trade associations and various stand standard setting organizations. So this is an area that NIST and NIH ODS have put a lot of consideration into. Uh, we've increased develop our efforts to develop some of these reference materials and um, specifically for fit-for-purpose botanical testing. So the focus has primarily been on botanical RMs uh, that are guaranteed to represent the article in commerce where we've uh, performed multiple different types of authenticity testing and we know what that material is. But we recognize that a lot of the problems that the industry faces is establishing that their final products that go to consumers are um, of quality and safe. So we are working on designing more reference materials to represent more of those finished products. Um, while we do that, because what we want reference materials to be, we want them to be truth in a bottle, as one of my colleagues says. So we want to design these reference materials to work with any analytical method the lab, a laboratory might use. And that becomes a big part of the consideration as we're designing these, is that they're commutable, that you get the same result or close to the same result, whether you're looking at DNA analysis, thin layer chromatography, uh, spectroscopic or spectrometric methods. So it's always a work in process and we're always refining how we certify these materials and how we communicate the work that goes into them to the people who are using them. Yeah, and also a challenge in demonstrating authenticity through quantitative analyses with the methods, with the materials that we're trying to develop. Um, it, it can be challenging, difficult to obtain enough authentic samples that uh, you can use to then create a statistically significant model of, uh, you know, positive controls uh, and enough uh, numbers of samples to fully represent the biological and chemical diversity that you find within a plant species. Um, so NIST and NIH ODS are actively, uh, again, engaging with stakeholders in order to find solutions to this challenge. Well, that leads nicely to my next question. So how can brands work with NIST and ODS to develop uh, supplement reference materials and other quality assurance programs? So we're always really enthusiastic to work with different um, manufacturers and laboratories um, because they bring us the real problems and then we can help solve the real problems that they're having. I'm going to answer the part about the QAP first because that's the easiest one to answer. Uh, if any laboratories would like more information about the Health Assessment Quality Assurance Program, uh, they can sign up for an account at qa.nist.gov gov slash slash H-A-M-Q-A-P. So that's the abbreviation for Health Assessment Quality Assurance Program. Uh, the way the program works is that NIST sends out samples that are related to both dietary supplement intake and to metabolic output twice a year. And by creating an account, the user can receive information about upcoming exercises and how to sign up. 
for the exercises of interest. In addition, it provides them a portal for sending us information um, about future exercises, what are their needs, what are their specific measurement problems, and they can even volunteer, volunteer samples that they've had problems with um, or found challenges with related to particular needs that we could use within the program so that the industry can establish that they're performing quality measurements. So that's the QAP. Um, it is meant to be a very interactive process. Uh, without the interaction, we can't do our jobs. The reference materials are um, a little bit less obvious, but I'm going to use a, a process that my colleague Melissa Phillips went through recently. Uh, we have some dietary supplement examples as well, but this one has just been completed, so I think it's a good example. So uh, one of her colleagues that she'd been working with at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration contacted her to discuss the needs for mycotoxin-containing reference materials. Um, that laboratories were having problems establishing that they could measure all of the different mycotoxins with a good degree of accuracy and precision. So what they did was the FDA had been researching this problem for quite some time, um, and they spent time collecting and measuring mycotoxins in several different corn samples. So once they knew the proper mix of the different corn samples to get the profile of mycotoxins that they wanted, um, they contacted Dr. Phillips. He coordinated having the materials blended and ground and packaged and ensuring homogeneity and um, sent the materials around for some ring testing for a quality assurance program where different laboratories measured the mycotoxins. Those values were then combined with the values that the FDA um, had also measured, and they developed a certificate. Um, it's actually called a report of analysis in this case that goes with the material for the different mycotoxins. So that's a good case of where someone external saw a need, had already begun to solve the problem, and provided the background information with us so that this material could be made publicly available. Um, we obviously can't do this with every material on the marketplace, um, but we are happy to talk with um, different laboratories about potential products, especially if they're related to consumer safety. Um, or if they're in an area that we haven't quite spent a lot of time or research yet, because that provides us the, uh, the head start that we need to understand the stability of a material and to understand a material. So we want to be sure that these materials are really meeting the needs of the community, so by working with the community, um, we're closing the loop on making these materials. So how can lab participation in certification programs help identify and resolve industry-wide challenges? I'm thinking of more of like, what's the bigger picture here beyond just how this is going to help my specific business ensure that, you know, I have all the testing required? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. The um, To that big picture point of view, of course, there is 
um, as we've been describing with the quality assurance program, a um, benefit to the individual lab. Um, in that program, the labs are encouraged to use their own in-house methods for the analyses. They're asked to answer detail, detailed questions about sample preparation, analytical separations, um, uh, methods of detection, how they calibrate, and that information exchange with the participating labs and the uh, NIST scientists, it allows them to find any systematic sources of bias that they uh, might be encountering, uh, any conflicting or inconsistent results that they may have. Um, but in participating in that program, you are one of several many labs participating in a exercise. Uh, of course, the more the merrier. Um, and so when you know, multiple labs are making measurements on the same distributed sample um, and they're using whatever method that they uh, you know, currently employ, they're able to then see how they compare in the community. The community as a whole is able to look at the uh, results and able to see, you know, maybe um, this method performs a little bit differently or better uh, than another method. Um, this sample preparation really uh, needs to be done in a certain way to get the most accurate results. So there's a, a level of definite benefit to an individual lab, uh, but then a benefit to the entire community as they're able to um, see what the uh, the performance is looking like, the results. It's, uh, it's not a certification program, if I don't think we've, maybe we didn't mention that. Uh, prior. The QAP, it's not a certification program. It's not a pass-fail. It's really a way for um, people to assess their performance and to work to improve. Uh, at, at the same time, you know, uh, results are um, anonymized. Um, you know, there, there's a definite privacy maintained, um, so there's not, not a concern with um, competitors knowing performance of others. It's just here's you know, lab number one versus lab number 20 uh, versus another dozen labs and, and seeing where things look. Um, so with that type of approach, then, you know, we've seen with the Quality Assurance Program, uh, participants were able to, uh, you know, specifically some case studies, they were able to see a, a higher degree of uh, concurrence and accuracy in the results when they used a uh, calibrant material in their approach. In another exercise, NIST was able to help participants identify uh, sources of measurement bias in sample preparation uh, in, in multiple steps, you know, extraction, hydrolysis, derivatization, and, and the um, instrumentation analysis. They're able to find where there could be sources of bias in the measurements. So one of the things that I love about the QAP is that it provides us the opportunity to find some of the problems in the industry, the measurement problems, and it also allows the industry to demonstrate where they are performing really well and where they don't require any help. Um, we have an educational component to it that beyond the testing and the reports that we provide, we also frequently talk with people about the results. We do presentations on the results. We try to arrange workshops to talk about different areas. 
And in those cases, what we find is quite frequently, the different laboratories are willing to work together while we absolutely keep the program anonymous, what will frequently happen is you will see an outlier in one of the plots that we show and the laboratory representative will stand up and point to the outlier and say, this is my lab's results and the entire group will work together to figure out what was going on. Maybe that lab was the only lab that performed appropriately in the, in the exercise. Or maybe that laboratory made some um, error that some of the other laboratories have made in the past and that they could help. So I'm always really impressed by the industry's ability to work together in some of these areas um, to help everybody. Um, so I think that's a real strength of participating in the programs. Um, the other strength of participating in the programs is that when laboratories provide numbers that are different from each other, um, if, if a manufacturer has set out two sets of samples and they receive two numbers, why are those numbers different? And the laboratories can actually address, oh, my method hydrolyzed these down to the aglycones, so the aglycones are higher. My laboratory measured the aglycones and the glycosides separately, so the individual numbers are lower, but the total numbers match up, and that helps everyone as well. Um, one of the things that I think it's important to keep in mind is that the QAP, the quality assurance programs, can be responsive. It's much faster to get a sample into a QAP than it is to get a reference material with values on it. Um, but they're really best used together. Uh, there are many cases we've seen where laboratories are having issues, maybe not providing the results that we would expect them to provide on a sample, and they would have known that before they ever submitted the results to the QAP or to a customer if they had used the reference material in that case. So it's really important to use all of the tools together. Um, I think the other thing is that we are open to suggestions in the QAP, and the materials that we provide in the QAP may actually develop into reference materials over time if there's the sufficient need. So we're always interested in discussing new quality assurance program studies that meet the needs of the community. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Kate and Adam. You really provided a lot of insight. And for those listening who want more, please join us uh, at the Trust in Testing Contract Lab for Safe Compliant Supplements uh, at Supply Side West in Las Vegas. That's on Thursday, October 17th at 2 p.m. Um, Kate will be speaking. Thank you. Thank you. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. 
This edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast is brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas.